Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart. And I'm very forgiving, but like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. All right, welcome back to another episode of Car Stories with Sung Kang. And Amelia Hartford. And today we get to talk to a old friend of ours, Brian Scotto, one of the founders of Hoonigan, and just had an illustrious journey in his life from wanting to be an engineer to being a journalist and eventually founding one of the most influential car content. Media houses today. Yeah. You know, I've known Brian for quite some time and he's always been such a huge supporter but I don't know that I got to hear his story to the level that we heard it in this conversation. Yeah. And we got to talk about inspiration. Yeah. Inspiration one leaves on this earth before we go away. Yeah. And also the different eras or chapters that he feels he's had in his life and also what's to come. All right. Well, so enjoy this conversation with our old buddy, Brian Scotto. So Brian, speaking of driving, let's start with the seed that got you into cars. Like, where did that start? Can you- My background, I grew up in New York City. And uh, as you know, it's like the capital of driving cars, right? No, absolutely not. Like, a lot, I still have friends who are in their 40s that never got their driver's license. Wow. Because, like, the subway is great and, like, ride bikes. Like, you don't really need, you don't really need cars. But um, my grandfather, he was like a rags to riches story. And when he did make money later on in his life, in like his like sort of like mid 50s, he just spent it all on cars. So um, he actually passed away when I was eight. But when he passed away, he had, uh, I think, like 18 or 19 cars. So for me, like having this like huge hoard of cars is like kind of just normal. That was sort of like what I grew up around. 
And he had like a really weird mix of stuff. He had everything from like Auburns and like a bunch of other like, you know, and then pre-war cars. But then he also had, he had two Corvettes. Uh, actually, I guess he had three Corvettes. Um, he had a DeLorean, which like you have to understand, Ooh. like as a kid, like you don't remember this time because you're, you're a youngster. I know what a DeLorean you're a young, No, no, I know you know what it is, <laughs> but you don't remember when Back to the Future was in theaters. Okay, not the theaters <laughs> part, but I remember the and movie. And like as a kid, like that was just the coolest thing. And that car felt like it was the future. It felt like it was the coolest thing ever. He only had it for a short period of time because he bought it and was like, this thing's junk. And that also kind of crushed me because my grandpa was like, this car's trash. Like, I don't want it. But, um, but I got to like be around all that. And I think I was like six and... um I was in the passenger seat of uh, of his 57 vet. We were like on this two-lane road out in the Hamptons and uh we were his his buddy like went to go pass him because he was like kind of driving slow with me and my grandfather like just dropped second gear and like broke the tires free and like the car was like all over the place and he turned to me and he just said don't ever tell your mom about that. <laughs> and it was just this moment that like after that I was like I want to do that. Like that like that seems like so much fun. So yeah, that kind of just stuck with me and then from there um when I was young, I was really pragmatic. So like everybody else that was into cars I knew were like reading Hot Rod Magazine, all that when they were like 13, 14. And I was like, I'm, I can't afford a car now. So, I, you know, and I can't even drive. I don't have the ability to get a license. So I got really into like RC cars. I was like heavily into that. Like I started my own RC car club and like I started like making my own like parts and stuff like that. And then, uh, and then as I got older, I was I was also really into snowboarding, skateboarding, riding BMX, and um, cars became this important thing to like get to the skate park or get to the mountain to go ride or do something like that. And uh, at that time in the mid '90s, like Volkswagens kind of were like sort of at the forefront of that. I felt like like every they were doing commercials with K2 and Trek, and there was this huge community of people in the snowboard world who all had like Volkswagens and Audis. So I ended up getting into that, and then like super fell into it. Started my own car club and. You know, it was always it was always that like hobby side. So, but like that was it was a weird one for me because none of my childhood friends were into cars. So like all like it just wasn't a thing. Like for the longest time, cars was sort of this like secret hobby for me, right? Like I was mm. writing graffiti and like doing all this other stuff, like riding bikes and all this stuff with my friends. I like that's what like a normal New York City life was. But I also like really really enjoyed car culture, and it was just it felt hidden from me. Like you know, going to the New York Auto Show was like the only thing that felt like I was like a part of car culture when I was a teenager. You know, otherwise it didn't really exist. Like I lived in a neighborhood where people didn't have fancy cars. Like cars were just were just transportation. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like well anytime I speak to you, you know, like you would have been a great like class president. <laughs> you're great at like organizing people together. Right? Yeah, I, I where does that come from? Is that from the grandfather, or your dad? Or? Um, I think it's from my mom. My mom. Um, both my parents are scientists, and my mom has very much like that leadership kind of administrative personality. That's just like how she is. Yeah, and, I, and actually, my mom is the reason I started a car club because mm-hmm. I bought this Volkswagen. It was a four door. Mark three slammed like way too low, even back then. And I was like sitting at home and it was like the summer. And I like, I just was complaining to my mom. I'm like, yeah, I just like a bummer. Like, I don't really know anyone who's into cars. And although a few people I've met, like they're all Honda guys. And like, I just didn't like have a akin to them. It was like a different world from the VW side. And my mom said like, well, why don't you just like start your own car club? So I was like 19. I'm like, oh, 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 like, how would I do that? She's like, I don't know. Go figure it out. Like, just I'm sure you can figure it out. And I did that, started my own car club. And within a year later, like, we had, like, 30 members. But what was the important part was, like, we started doing events. 
So mm-hmm. we started doing a monthly cruise. So we did this thing called the, the car club was called Auto Creek, and um, which like loosely translates in German to like automotive competition or something like auto wars, whatever. At the, when I was nineteen, it sounded great, <laughs> <laughs> but um, we we started it. It was like this small group of people who were like basically lived in like New York City and a little bit of Long Island. And um, when, at least when we started, and from there, we started doing events. And we came up with this idea, which, like, I look back at it now as an adult who has, like, things that, like, people could take from me in a lawsuit. And I realized, like, how little liability, like, we had on any of this. But we'd started this cruise. We found a bunch of windy roads out in Long Island, which realized, like, growing up in New York, like, it's a grid. So, like, there was no fun roads to drive. So there was obviously a street race community that, like, operated a lot in Brooklyn and Queens. But I wasn't really into that. Like, I, I went and I enjoyed watching it. And it was kind of, like, fun to be a part of that. Um, uh, until Fast and Furious came out and ruined the entire scene. We'll talk about that later. But, <laughs> so, so sorry, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I was more into like the dynamic element, right? Like corners and like driving canyon style roads. Well, not that we had that in, in New York, but we did have some windy, like, you know, forest roads out in Long Island. So I like, I went, I found them all and we started doing this event. We called it Full Moon, Full Throttle. And the idea was the Friday closest to the full moon, we would meet in a like a rest area off of the Long Island Expressway at midnight. And then we would go drive the roads for like two and a half hours and then go home. And like it started with 20 cars. And by the time we did the last one, we had 175 cars show up. Wow. And I was like 20 years old trying to organize this with like walkie talkies and like, and like we through all of it, we only had, we only had two accidents the whole time and they were like minor, like, you know, slide off, hit a rim or hit a telephone pole. Um, no one else ever got hurt, but like, it was amazing that we, we did them for, I think we did 23 or 24 of them. So we ran it for two years as a monthly event. So I went from feeling like there was no community around that to sort of creating something that became this hub for all of it. And then we also did a car show event because at the time, like car shows were like really, really stressful. Like back then it was like, you have to be here. Roll-ins at 6 a.m. Like you've got to be, and you can't leave till 4 p.m. And blah, 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 blah. And, and you got to be standing by your car for these four hours. So when the judges come by, like you can walk them through the car. And I was like, that wasn't what I wanted. I just wanted this like cool hangout experience. And we created it. We did this event called Dub and Grub. But, and we made it like people's choice. So that way, like people didn't really get that stressed about like judging, like just come and hang out. And like, it's potluck, like bring your own meals. And by the time we got to like the third or fourth one, like people were like cooking pigs and like bringing full pigs to the event. Like it was this like amazing experience because you also think of like how culturally diverse Queens is which is where like we had the event. So it's like the amount of different types of food we had there was like awesome. So it just became this like rad like feast for all these people in the car community, especially in the Volkswagen Audi. It started to grow bigger than that later on to do. And I, I think that's when it, I realized like as much as I enjoyed cars myself, a big part of it was like the community around cars and and like all of that. And, you know, you fast forward from there and two of the guys who were in my car club, like 15 years later stood next to me at my wedding. So yeah, to me, the car community part of it was always the big part of it. And like being able to tie that into like going driving and doing all of that. So, yeah, that was, I don't know. I kind of spot, you asked me one question when no, my mom great. got Just back there. No, we wanted to hear all of this. Here we are now. So, yeah, that was like, and that was at the time, it's crazy because I, so I was going to school and I'm sitting here like bailing on class so I could like plan these events. And it's funny because at the time I, I was, I knew how, just like irresponsible that was but like i just was i was enjoying it so much 
But now looking at where I sit today, I'm like, oh, I should have skipped more classes and, and learned more of it because I was learning more doing all that. And I was also like using things at school to be able to like design flyers. Like I'm going into like the computer lab and like using the equipment to like do stuff for my car club. And at no point while I was doing that did I think that this was going to be my career. Instead, I saw it as like this major distraction from what I was trying to do in school and, and put all of that together. Why engineering? Where'd you start there? Um, calculus, all of that stuff like was second nature to me. So I was like, oh, you know math really well, then you should go and do engineering. You know, you take your aptitude tests and you're like, oh, I should either be an underwater welder or I should be an engineer. And I was like, oh, I hate swimming. So <laughs> I was like, I guess I'll be an engineer. And I liked, I wanted to design cars and build stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's where I thought my engineering degree would go. It's, it's still like how my brain works and what I really enjoy is like making things. And that's even how I approach content and, and like creative is like the, I enjoy the building of things, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing I really enjoy. And, and I think it was very obvious to me early on in a engineering program that like I was never going to be one of the best. I was going to be someone else's number monkey which meant I was never going to get to like lead design and like and be that instead I'd be the one helping someone else do it that uh, that made me lose a bit of interest in it I mean this ends up being an entire podcast about my college career but Did um, you get your degree? I did not. I'm 6 credits short. I ended up I ended up like third year, three and a half years in, I take a journalism class and I like I fell in love. I was it was the first time where I wouldn't miss class. I loved it. Mm. And it was one of my favorite things. And I also had a fantastic professor because she actually, um, because it was my elective, I didn't take it as seriously as a lot of my other stuff, even though I enjoyed it. But when it came down to finals, I was like more thrashing on all these other classes that one, I was barely showing up to and I needed to study for. And this class, I thought like, I, I like, I, I'm doing well in it. It doesn't matter. And uh, I handed in my final like article late and she gave me a D. And I, I was like, oh, this sucks. Like, I wanted to do the minor, but like now I got to go back and take this class again for it to apply for my minor. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm not going to do it. So I ended up backing out of the program. Um, and she called me and said, hey, I saw that you, you know, I saw that you backed out of the program. And she basically gave me the story of like, look, in journalism, if you're late, it doesn't print. So it didn't happen, right? But you're, but she kind of gave me that pep talk of like, you have a really good knack for this. I don't want to see you drop the minor. Like, I will retroactively fix this, but you need to go and, you know, can maintain a grade of whatever in the rest of the program and, and do all of this. So, uh, that's awfully kind. It was, but it was, in the end, it didn't matter because I never got my diploma. But what mattered was in a world of like, I had only ever been applauded for my scientific side of like thinking. Mm -hmm. She was the first person to ever say, like, you're good at storytelling. You understand this, like, this is something that I think you really should chase after. So then I started taking film classes and, you know, and all these different media classes and everything shift. And all of a sudden I was like really interested to go to school again. And I really enjoyed it. This has been a bit of a, this, I, I think this isn't car stories. So it's not like college stories. but No, yeah, no, no. So. cars are the connective tissue yeah. of what brings us all here. Yeah, yeah. And your story, like your trajectory is so clear to what you do and what you've built today from organizing a car crew yeah. to um, entrepreneurship to engineering, essentially building with yeah. your hands to, yeah. yeah. It, in a weird way, it all like lined up. Yeah. But, like when it was happening, I don't think I was like, yeah, I'm on this great trajectory. <laughs> like while it's happening, you're like, ah, oh, this just did, this didn't work out. This failed out. And I, you know, there was certainly a period of time where, 
you know, I got that talk from my dad, which was like, you know, maybe school's not for you. Like maybe you should, you know, join a labor union. Maybe you should go do that, you know, something, something. And, and, you know, and my dad came from, from like a blue collar family. So he was like, maybe that's maybe where, like what you need to go do. Mm-hmm. Cause you're like, you're not enjoying school. And I wasn't. Um, and then it all just sort of turned around. And I realized that like the things that made me happy and my dad used to always refer to it as like pink collar, which was like, I enjoy the white collar work of creative, but I, I need to touch it and be a part of it. And like, even when we're on set filming, like I always talk to the grips cause like I enjoy building erector sets to mount cameras to things. I love that pink collar. I'm going to borrow that. I've yeah. never pink heard that pink collar. Yeah, essentially what you do today is storytelling from, I mean, literally storytelling mm-hmm. with content creation but also building cars. Every car has a story. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And that's like such a big part for me is the story of cars. Like mm-hmm. we we always talk about this internally at Hoonigan. It's like cars need a name mm-hmm. because once you name them, then like they stand out and they have a personality. They become alive. They become alive. Do you, do you have a name for you, Sienna? <sighs> no, I've been, you know, after you talked about, that's probably, well, I have two cars that I don't have names. Because like you're really stuff. good with naming your vehicles. Yeah, well, you know, because I, but I, I can't name them until like they mm. have to. I have to have my hands on it, and I have to like, spend time with it. But at the stuff. same time, you don't want to build the Sienna up because you and I have talked about this. Like, why don't you have wheels on it? Because then it's yeah, not. I don't, I don't you like the practicalness of it right now. Yeah, that's what excites the you. Low about key, the low-key, like I'm invisible. Yeah, yeah. Right? I can if if it's all pimped out I can't park in front of like your house and just sleep they're like what is, who is, that? Who is that dude with those big old think how different think how different his thought process is on cars than mine and yours I know. like we're sitting there being like alright how much power can this tank before I put a window through the block right and he's sitting there going can I sleep in yeah. the back in Beverly Hills will an air mattress huh. fit will someone wake me up yeah exactly are the windows dark enough that they won't see me but the cops won't pull me over <laughs> like what's that threshold? This is where this is where his his brain's at. Yeah, this is my favorite side of you. You're like, oh yeah, Sun Kang. Like, oh yeah, that's my buddy. He like sleeps in his van, like outside of people's houses. You oh, imagine not? Oh, you know him from Fast and Furious. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know him as the guy who sleeps in a van. He's, he's that guy. I'd love to see the neighbor just walk out and knock to be like, who's sleeping out here? And it's you that yeah. crawls out of the of the Sienna. Oh, I'm sure that he, there's been photos of him on Nextdoor where people are like, suspicious man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he, he drives around a minivan. He doesn't have any kids. There's something wrong with this guy. <laughs> Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters, the theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. 
Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry, my light, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Carol G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Ex-Tina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royals. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's funny is that either people really love the fact that I drive a minivan, right? And they're mm-hmm. like, you drive a minivan? That's so awesome. Or it's complete disappointment. Oh, right. Complete, like like, it's, it's not, yeah, what, they, yeah. not what they thought it was going to be. Yeah, they don't, yeah, yeah. They, don't, they don't want that. Yeah, yeah. You show up to a valet and they're like, I come out and they're like, oh my God. And they're like, what are you driving a minivan for? And I try to explain to them. I'm like... Hey man, it has eighteen cup holders. It's yeah, thirty six miles a gallon. Oh, I get it. Cause there's certain like I'll go to meetings and I know that like as when I show up, people are gonna be like, "What did you drive?" You're like, oh, yeah. like yeah, if you don't drive same. something fun, then like then like you lose that perception thing. So sometimes I've definitely like sat in traffic in cars I don't want to drive <laughs> to go to places, and then you get there and you're like, "Oh, no one even cared what I drove." Today. Yeah, they didn't uh, ask you. Like, yeah, 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 like yeah, I could have just driven something with air conditioning. Yeah. And a not so stiff clutch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or something I didn't have to stop three times to let it cool down on the way there. So I, I want to talk about legacy. You know, when you guys built out Hoonigan, like, do you uh, did you feel like this is going to be your legacy? And how do you feel about that now? Mm. I mean, it's interesting. I legacy is like such a weird, a weird thing to think about. I think there's a quote somewhere. I don't know if everyone's seen it or is in something that. Ken was like, I hate the word legacy because if you're talking about my legacy, it means I'm dead, 
which like mm-hmm. hit really hard when like you know, you're watching that afterwards. Mm-hmm. But I, I think when you are building something, when you're in it, you're just kind of in it and you want to build something great. But I think once it starts to become successful is when the legacy thing starts to creep in. Like when you're just building it, you're just trying to make something, right? Like I don't think, when I was building zero to 60, I don't think there was ever a moment in my life where I was at at no point because we were still, the magazine died early. So it was like, you know, it died because the print industry died. So like, I don't think we ever achieved any kind of greatness with it, right? But I'll be places and people will be like, man, I love zero to 60. And I realized like there was this small little legacy that we built. It wasn't really intentional. It was like, we were just trying to make something great and trying to make something different. And, and we really love that magazine. And we poured so much into it as a team, everyone who was involved with it. Um, and I think when we were doing Hoonigan, I don't think I started to think about the legacy of like what Hoonigan was and, you know, and then like what it had done and like what the culture change and shift was around it until probably a couple years ago. And I think you actually start to do that as like the company itself shifts, people leave and, you know, and you realize like that's like an era that just ended, you know, and that's, I think a hard thing for people to understand is I think when you watch Hoonigan from the outside, you know, you think about it as like a group of friends, mm-hmm. but like at the end of the day, like it's employees and like mm-hmm. people do different things in life. And sometimes people either, you know, want to go do their own thing. They don't want to do it anymore. Um, I, you guys both know this. And I think this is something that, that is hard for people to understand who don't understand it is like fame affects different people differently. Mm-hmm. Right. And some people enjoy it. Some people like really come to life. Some people, it changes their personalities and other people hate it, right? And they really don't want to be around it. And I will tell you in my experience, the people that you think love it actually hate it because they're kind of acting the whole time Mm. and then they turn it off and they don't want to be around it anymore. And I think that like a lot of that happened at Hoonigan as we started to really sort of explode like 2016 to like 2018 was sort of this like, just we just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and all of a sudden like you're getting recognized in airports and and it's not even at car events anymore. Like, you know, you're out to dinner and people are recognizing you. And I think for a lot of us, that was, there was a element of that. And Hurt and I used to always joke about this, which was like, we're famous, but we don't have famous money. So like, you're famous, but you're sitting coach <laughs> next to somebody who now is talking to you nonstop and you just like want to watch your movie and like not deal with that, you know? And um I think when that started to happen, I started to realize we were never going to be the company we were anymore. Like when we stopped making daily transmission, I think that was maybe the first time that I started to think about legacy. I don't know if I put that word on it, but I realized like that was an end of an era. Mm. Like we were never going to go back and make that again. And at a certain point, yeah, that was like the show everybody loved and everyone enjoyed it. But it, I think at a certain point, like the, the crew just didn't enjoy making it anymore. Mm. And that came through. You know, and you try to like make it work, but it doesn't. And then we went and did something else and we all did the show Scumbag Labs and we loved it. It was so much fun to make that. Right. And, and you know, and it's like bands, like you love your, you love a band's first album. Like you just love that first album and you just want them to go back and make that first album. But when they were making that first album, like they didn't have the things that came with the second album, the third album. They, you know, they did it in a rented studio from a friend or, you know, they, they, lie, cheat, steal, you know, they did whatever hook or crook to be able to make that album and you lose a lot of that energy once you become successful. And then it's not as easy to get back to that stuff. And then it starts to become disingenuous. And I I, I think as I grew something, 
like Hoonigan and even with Ken Block, you start to go back to things where you're like, we don't enjoy this as a group to make this as much as we used to. We want to do something new. And then the audience doesn't always want that new. So you kind of were like in this weird world of like, you're trying to deliver something that maybe doesn't serve for you. You know, I love new things. So like for me, and there's a famous quote, I think on the Amazon Prime thing from Ken, where Ken was like, if it works, we're going to keep doing it. But Scott wants to do something different just because he's bored. <laughs> and like, I, there was that for me. Like for me, I, there was this really exciting era and um, our audience jokes about it a lot because it's like, an, they always like, oh, another new show. Because we were just launching like all new show ideas because I just wanted to build and build and build. And once mm -hmm. I realized that like YouTube deleted the gatekeeper and I could like just make TV style shows and put them up on YouTube and I was able to find enough funding to be able to support all of that, we went for it. Were all of them good? Nah, some of them were okay, but some of them were really fun. We did the show called Build and Battle, which was fantastic. We did, um, we did a bunch of adventure stuff that was great. We did Scumbag Labs, which I loved. Um, we launched a whole content series around Ken, which like he fought me on because he didn't really want to do it. But there was a lot of stuff that we did that was like a lot of fun in that era. And once the era is behind you, you're like, you realize the value of it later on. I think it's very hard to understand the value of it when you're in it. And mm -hmm. I think if you worry too much about the value of it when you're in it, then you're like looking at the wrong reasons to mm. do it. But um, I think there's definitely, there's definitely this balance of like serving an audience and making them happy. And um, there's this big joke that it's like my title is chief creative officer, but uh, I get called two other things. One is chief complication officer because mm -hmm. I just complicate everything because I enjoy complications and chaos. And the other one is chief comment officer because like I read a lot of the comments from the audience, right? And I know some people don't like to. Like, do you read your do you read your comments? I do. You do? I if we're talking YouTube specifically, I'll yeah. read the first couple days and then yeah, after yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. I, I kinda don't really go you back. You really only need the first six or seven hours. Because yeah. like that's where you get a lot of it. After that, you get the comments kind of change because now you're getting outsiders right. who aren't really your core audience right. anymore. Um so you do read them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I was do. wondering because some people don't. I like, try to respond to them. I mean, I I have my phases. Like sometimes I just really won't be in the mood to accidentally stumble across something that is super really negative up. or yeah. like get yeah, toxic. So then yeah, I for sure. won't put myself in the situation to read them, but I enjoy hearing the audience's yeah. feedback because it's yeah. always going to be honest. Yeah. I mean, you, I think you always have to look at it like a outlier situation. The super, super, super positive stuff, just ignore it. Mm -hmm. Like they will just say everything's great. Yeah. Right. And the super, super negative stuff that's like weirdly toxic, they've got a problem with something else. Just ignore it and like find that stuff in the middle. You know? I, I used to not even read them. I think anyone who's female in our space sometimes gets really fucking creepy shit, but also like some like unnecessarily fucking toxic bullshit. Oh, yeah. I actually think I replied to one on yours once. I've, being I've like, seen you do being that like, in the past. Yeah. Step the fuck. Like you need to check yourself real quick. Yeah. I never like to play the female card. But no, I, I know. I know. But at the same time, it's like people just say things. I'm like, you wouldn't fucking say that to me. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. The yeah. criticism that I get because yeah. of my gender versus someone yeah. else. Like, I have to put, I always feel like I have to work twice as hard to get yeah, half the respect. Sure. For sure. I read a great comment the other day that just made me laugh. They had some, like, video of me and they were like, oh, it's, it's, it's Han. And then this guy wrote, he's like, man, Han is turning into Chayon fat because my face looked a little fat. <laughs> <laughs> it actually made me, I just like spit out my drink. And I was like, this guy's super clever. I mean, it's Sometimes the awesome. commenters will get a good knock <laughs> yeah. and you're like, oh, it's pretty fucking Touché. good. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, Am I getting a little fat? Maybe I need to yeah. exercise a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That's hilarious. Yeah, no, I, well, because I like, obviously for me, the big joke is like, most of my cars don't run. 
And uh, <laughs> I bought that farm and someone named it Avocado because it's an avocado farm. And I was like, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> and then it was like Avocado Farms. And then someone added Avocado Farms and Salvage because I have a bunch of cars. <laughs> I was like, this is great. I was like, I'm just going to steal all your guys' names. That's like, great. Yeah. It was fantastic. Avocado Farms and Salvage. It should be on so. the side of a truck. A work yeah, truck. yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. Like, I was like, the end Salvage is great because you're like, what? <laughs> so yeah, so you got a bunch of cars parked on the property. So, But anyway, where were we before the before uh, the yeah, legacy. You're yeah, talking I don't about know. I mean, look, obviously, I dealt a lot this year with like the legacy of Chemblock. I mean, that was something that was very much, you know, in front, just front of brain. I mean, it was front of brain probably earlier than it should have been. Like, I was still dealing with and trying to like understand what had happened, but also thinking about like how do we message this, mm-hmm. right? Like, like we have to do that, and I and then. You know, when on the first day, like I, I couldn't even deal with the situation. I had Ron. I was like, hey, dude, you need to like Ron Zaris, who's like always been like my second hand and worked directly with Ken for years. I was like, I need you to do this because like I, I, I can't deal with this right now. And like, I think we we had some we had some fun moments in that because we were letting, I don't want to say fun. Fun's the wrong word. But we had moments that made us smile, which was we had this thing of like, if we had to send this to Ken right now, would he even approve this? Or would like he just like rip us apart for this, you know? And um, that kind of kept kept him alive in a way for us. But like, I think you look at the legacy side of it, and it became very important to like a lot of the people around him. Obviously, Lucy and the family, and it's like, well, yeah, how does Ken? You know, how does Ken get remembered through all of this, right? And like the things that like I knew were like really important to Ken, and like what Ken wanted to see. You know, what what mattered to Ken, right? And I think you know the thing is like Ken will always be famous for the Jim Connor films, but like. Ken loved being a rally car driver. Like, that was a thing he loved. But he also loved being, like, the marketing person and, like, understanding the audience. Like, I think all of us, you know, who knew Ken from the automotive side don't realize that, like, he'd already had 20 years of, like, being a very successful businessman in the marketing space. And, like, that was a big part of his identity. Right. And it's like, for me, that's like what my identity is. Right. Like, I'm not a race car driver. Like, I can stitch together a decent time on a track, but like, that's not who I am. And that's Mm -hmm. like, and like, he didn't become that till later. He didn't start racing until he was 36. Right. So he already had this like very successful thing that he did with eight ball and drawers and dub and obviously DC shoes and, you know, and, and all that. And he had all these other people who like in many ways owe their careers, you know, in, in many parts to him. Right. Whether and like legends, right. Rob Deerdick, Danny Way, all these people who like, Ken was the person who helped them go chase these really big ideas, right? And Ken was that for me too. And I think it's weird because like as we walked away from like all of this and we had this memorial for Ken, which was really amazing. It was really difficult, but it was really amazing. And like there was just this constant thing that like we're here, it's 500 people who all knew Ken, right? Like everyone here had either worked with him, worked for him, was friends with him, was family, and so, like, these are the people who, like, really knew Ken, right? This isn't just the people who knew him from afar. There was, like, this one thing that just kept repeating, and it was, like, Ken was so good at creating opportunity for people. He never gave it away for free. Like, you had to work hard for it. Um, it was never free, but he could, like, spot things in people and then, like, just basically expect it from you, right? Mm-hmm. And I was, like, that was what he did. And I, I think about, like, what I want Ken's legacy to be. And, you know, and I don't really think about my own, but I, I like... I, I hope I'm remembered well, but like I think in Ken's legacy, it's so easy for people to be like, oh, he was this amazing driver. 
right? And like Jim Connor and like all of that. And like that's like very superficial. And I think that's a very simple one to look at. But if you look at it more of like, well, Ken created this opportunity for so many of us because like he rewrote the paradigm of like, I, this word is overused, but like he disrupted automotive motorsport. Like he, he disrupted automotive marketing and motorsports 100%. I remember how people couldn't understand why we did things the way we did. Like we were working in WRC and the FIA and they were like threatening to find me because I wasn't sending out press releases. And I'm like, why do I have to send out a press release? Like, we're going to do this on Facebook. We're going to speak directly to our audience. We're going to reach more people than our email list are going to get to. Like, why does this matter? You know, and it seemed normal for us, but it was really like taking a different approach at it. And, you know, I, so like, I think in a lot of ways, I hope that right now, you know, it's, it's, it's not even been a year. And I think everyone is, just misses him from like what he gave the community. To me, I hope that in 10 years from now, if you look back and, you know, someone does a, you know, a retrospective or a doc on like the importance of, of Ken, I think a lot of it is that I think he really helped kind of usher in like a different way of like the automotive world sort of looking at like entertainment and like the value of marketing and doing things different and, mm -hmm. and bringing all of that in. And, and I think that that, you know, in a way, like, I think he would be happier with that legacy than just like, oh, he was the guy that did Jim Connor. But mm -hmm. like, it was more than Jim Connor. I mean, even just the idea to, you know, to create some, you know, Hoonigan and to, to do all of that. I mean, we were very much, we're kind of at a forefront of when all of that stuff was yeah. happening. And then in a way, I think paved a path for so many other people before the Jim Conna films, BMW or Porsche, like they weren't asking for cars to be slid around in commercials. Yeah. Like that, like changed the way that people saw cars as exciting. And like you talk to people in the Hollywood world and they'll be like, oh yeah, we changed the way that we did stunt driving after we saw the Jim Conner films, right? And like, so like that was this cool inspiration behind it, but it's like, it's not just the films. It's like, what did the films affect that created this longer lasting change. I mean, it's it sucks to say this, but like there's this thought of like, man, you wish you could hear what people say about you after you're gone. Like if Ken could just see the amount of appreciation that he has now that like maybe he didn't realize was there while he was alive. And then I think like that's like what like real legacy looks like because it wasn't just the thing he made. You can make a great film or you can great make a great statue or whatever, but like, but how did that inspire someone else? Like I think that's the important legacy. Cause if you just did something that was really cool, but it didn't make someone else do something really cool out of it, well then then what is that? That I think is a real legacy versus just being like, oh, they were the best at this. That's cool. But like, were they the best at it and inspired someone else to be better? Like, that's kind of cool because I'll hear people sometimes be like, oh, these guys are like, they're way better than you now. And I'm like, yeah, but I also know that like, they've told me that like, we like helped pave the way for them. So like, mm -hmm. I hope they're better because yeah. if you do something and then the person who comes up behind you doesn't do it better, like, well, that you, you bushwhacked. The next person has to clear the path and then the person after that has to pave it and the person after that puts in some railings and then some lights and you know eventually you have a nice little sidewalk right and it's like but everyone has to improve that path especially if you went down it first right and i'm not saying that we were entirely first but we were pretty early on a lot of it and you know i think that that's part of that legacy is like being a part of that community side of it Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. 
Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Carol G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Extina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royals. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think you've definitely, and what you guys have built over again have inspired so many people. Mm -hmm. You know, and and not just in you know not just in the car community, but what you said early on, which I think 
you know, it stuck with me this whole conversation. And I'll take away is, you know, just go figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, so my do mom cool said, shit, don't be an asshole. Yeah. What a great lesson, you know. <laughs> Figuring it out on your own is such a great thing from both the content side of this to even just like how to, how oh, to yeah. make something work on a car. And you're like, I don't know. I'll just, I mean, the amount of other people's YouTube stuff I watch to make my own YouTube stuff is incredible. Yeah. And you know? it's a it's a good tool to have to just learn how to figure things mm-hmm. out. You don't have to be right, but it's taking the initiative mm-hmm. to to get out of your comfort zone. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. You were talking about different eras being different things that you enjoy at the time in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask, what, what are you enjoying now? I don't know if I've thought about today. I definitely have thought about like what are some of the peak moments for me, right? Mm-hmm. Like just in my career. I'm in my 40s. You start to like think about things like that. But like Zero to 60 Magazine was like a really big peak. It was so much fun and it felt so adventurous. And we had no idea what we were doing. And we were just faking it till we make it. And that was super fun. Um, obviously, the similar thing in early Hoonigan. Daily Transmission era was great. Um, I think something else that's really interesting for me now is I'm I'm watching like a major shift in content in the space you know, yeah. so like looking more at like what the future of Hoonigan can be in like a short form space and also being like more collaborative with other people right now is like really where like my interests lie instead of, you know, kind of for a long time, I will say like Hoonigan, Hoonigan had its collaborative years, but we also very much had like our sort of like Rock of Solitude style era. I've, I've always seen you guys being very collaborative and supportive yeah. of other creators. We're definitely supportive. I think I, I think if I have any regrets is I wish we would have pushed harder. Um, and not that we still can't, but like I, I wish we had like worked harder to like have just done more sh- like things like let's just do a show with Amelia that like, you know, like that I think is where I really wanted to get to more earlier mm-hmm. on. And we did a bit with some people, but um, I look at I look at the space now and I think that the more collaborative the whole space can be, just the more powerful we all are as as sort of like, whether you want to call us influencers, creators, whatever the hell it is. But like, I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, Well, maybe that's the next era. Maybe that's the next era. And like I said, I think that that's the part I'm kind of excited about now is, is that stuff. And I love like the energy of like a lot of the young you know, like sort of up and coming creators, like let's just say, like the sub hundred thousand followers, mm-hmm. like because they, they, they're still it's still new and exciting for them, and you know that's there's something really there, there's a great energy there, and like yeah. I I don't I don't totally lose that energy, and I think this is the thing that uh, frustrates a lot of people sometimes is like I have a new idea and I get excited about it, like it's the first idea I ever had, right, and like I that I like, but I also want everyone else to have that level of excitement too, and I think sometimes. You know, you you need to shift things up and and have um, and work with different people on that. And I also think that other people need to shift their things up and work with different people. Like like Hurt's a perfect example. I, I love Hurt. He's like a brother to me. He's he was like employee number four, and now like he's going and chasing something new. He's still friends and family with Hoonigan. We'll mm-hmm. still make content with him, but like he's chasing this whole other thing on his own and his stuff he's doing with T Pain. And it's like that's rad. Like people need to go do that. They need to kind of like go break up. The model of, of doing different stuff, and you know, and I that to me is kind of exciting is to kind of watch like what happens with sort of that the extended family. And I think it goes back to what I said at the beginning of this conversation of like the Auto Creek side. Like when I did my car club, there was only twenty five of us in it, but we would have all these other car clubs that would come out and do everything with us. And I I really would love to like make sure that we like shift more back into that and get mm-hmm. more on the like, hey come, you know, we want you to be a part of this. We want you to do this. Like, let, let's make some cool stuff together. 
because the broadness of that is to me what makes everything it's always been the fun part of Hoonigan. Um, and then the other thing I've just been enjoying kind of like fully embracing my own weirdness and the stuff I like and just dealing with that instead mm-hmm. of like, I know you know this instead of making stuff for the audience, mm-hmm. making stuff for myself and then hoping that an audience shows up. Like I've really leaned back into like my Volkswagen roots. I enjoy it. I know it's not exactly what everybody in the audience wants, but like it kind of makes me happy. And then that, yeah. that helps me drive the other creative that makes the audience happy. 100%. It's, it's this weird thing. You got to yeah. do enough stuff that like you still kind of enjoy that. Still have to feed the soul at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Mm-hmm. So I think right now it's an interesting, it's an interesting time and, a big one of that really is like just looking at like how everything is shifting in social and the whole space we're in. Mm-hmm. We can get into a whole conversation of like how I kind of think social media is ruining the society, but at the same <laughs> time we all work in it as a business mm-hmm. and like trying to kind of lever and live in between those. And I think yeah. you do obviously know that, you know, yeah, and like mental health is a big part of like your, you know, I think your storyline and everything in there and like, yeah. you know, being the piece on social that's the positive part and not the negative part. And I think is like super important for us in the car industry because like we shouldn't be the negative part. We should be the part that like makes you excited to go build and inspire you to do stuff, not right. make you feel bad about yourself, kind of thing. So I'm excited to see what comes in your guys's next chapter, your next era. We could talk forever. Yeah, no, I know. Thanks, I'm, Brian. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Us. Thanks for having me. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart. And I'm very forgiving, but like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one.